This is Day Beautiful, a podcast that helps readers discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about books, culture, and life. To discover more debut authors, please visit daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social medias at Day Beautiful. Today's guest was born in China and raised in various cities in Texas. His short stories and essays have appeared in The Atlantic, The Iowa Review, Electric Literature, The Texas Observer, and more. He has received awards from the McDowell Colony, Breadloaf Writers Conference, and the Tulsa Artists Fellowship. He is currently a visiting professor at the University of Tulsa. His debut novel is Nights When Nothing Happened. His name is Simon Han. Hey, Simon, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. How are things going on your end of the world? Um, you're in Texas, right? Yeah, I'm uh, north of Dallas. Um very close to the the city uh the the novel that i actually wrote about <laughs> awesome yeah and um and today I, I, this is a treat i rarely talk to writers on their actual publication day it's usually before or slightly after yeah. so i mean congratulations how are how are you doing today <laughs> it's been yeah it's been a morning i mean i i think that this was like the, the first morning that i i woke up and actually looked forward to checking my phone <laughs> and like seeing what was going to be on there. I will also, actually I did also feel a bit of dread. I, I think that's, I've just gotten used to feeling that, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's been a much, a much brighter morning than most. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. And, and your book nights when nothing happened, um, is out now. And like you said, it, it takes place near where you're, where you're living now. What, what is, what is this book about? Yeah, so um, Nights When Nothing Happened, it's it's a family drama um, set in Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas, uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, it's about um, a sleepwalking little girl and her family, um, and they're all um, uh, Chinese-American, and um, there's this series of very unfortunate events and, and misunderstandings that caused the family to unravel and they began to retreat, you know, from the outside world. And, and then they also began to kind of turn on each other and question one another um, and, and maybe like possibly even fear one another. And uh, yes, things kind of unravel from there. Yeah. What I, what I love about the book is part of the reason I asked for like your synopsis, the, you know, the writer's mm-hmm is it I feel like there's so much going on that when I'm when I was telling people about this book for the past few months you know I talk about sleepwalking I talk about like it's a family drama but you know there's so much more and there's just a lot of moving pieces and it's like unlike anything I've read in in a while that it gripped me a certain way and like it felt like a thriller but it's also you know very like you know like like you said a family drama that that has a certain pace to it um mm-hmm. When, when you were thinking about writing, when you when you when you started writing this, I guess what was what was that first image or what was that first theme you really wanted to tackle be, within this book? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if I had like a theme in mind, but I I, I did sort of have in a very vague image 
I suppose, of like, of like this, this feeling of being alone in a, in a crowd, you know, or like, I, I think of when I was a kid and like a lot of my earliest memories uh, in America were of like being at Chinese restaurants, like late at night and my parents are with their friends and they're just, they're talking and I'm tired and I'm like falling asleep over two chairs. And uh, I, you know, there's like just this jumble of sound and smell and just a lot going around me. And, and it's, I think for, for kids, it can feel very overwhelming and, um, and, and, and maybe even lonely. Uh, and, and maybe that's where it started this kind of mood of, uh, of, like being lonely among your own sort of people that, that also are there to protect you. And, and uh, yeah, I think from there, other stuff sort of uh, you know, sprouted out from that character setting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the setting, I think it plays a really large part in it. Um, you know, Plano, Texas, I'm not too familiar with, but you know, it is a suburb of Dallas. Um and you and you wrote an essay recently about the messiness of a suburban narrative of the suburban narrative. Would this novel was it always going to be set in a city or a town like Plano, or could it have worked like in a major city like New York or LA? Did it did was that part of it? Did it need to be set mm. in the suburbs? Yeah, I think so. I think I mean I, I resisted writing about the suburbs for so long because I you know like I grew up in the suburbs that. I was mostly bored, you know, like, and I didn't feel like there was a, there's much of a story to tell. And uh, I, I think that with time, I sort of realized, well, well, that sort of feeling of living without story or, uh, or not even seeing your story and other people's stories that kind of like disappearing into other people's stories, like that itself was maybe interesting to explore in fiction. Like I, I, I realized, you know, when I, I, I could, I couldn't really write about these big cities, mainly maybe because I, I didn't have that sort of, uh, I, I, I felt like I couldn't bring out the nuance of, of them, even though I've spent some time in them. And, um, but even with like Plano where I grew up, you know, it took me a long time to see that there was nuance to begin with, that they, that Plano has its kind of unique weirdness, uh, as well as like this unique history and darkness. But, uh, and then also thinking about the population, the giant population of immigrants in Plano um, that really, I think, aren't, that, that aren't really visible in sort of like mainstream representations of the suburbs, which are still sort of depicted as like all white and, you know, white picket fences and cul-de-sacs and um, uniform houses and things like that. And, and Plano is a lot of these things, but it's also not. So, so I was interested in that. No, sure. It's funny. I, so I moved to Denver right before the pandemic and like the stay at home orders. And I have been not so joking. I live like downtown and I've been not so joking. Like, wow, yeah. Denver is extremely white. And I moved from Phoenix where, you know, there was, I, I would say Caucasian white people were the minority in a lot of neighborhoods, a lot of the area. But uh, mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. I went, I had to go, I had to go to a Walmart for something very specific. I just needed like a cheap thing. And the closest one was in a suburb. And I was like, oh, this is where all the immigrants are and all the people of color are. 
And it's so interesting that you're, like what you said, the idea mm-hmm. of the suburbs are like white flight. That's where it's it's like white picket fences. But th- these communities are now in the suburbs is kind of what I realized recently, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that that's something a lot of people don't realize is that so much of like the growth in the immigrant population are in the suburbs. And there's actually even like this kind of reverse white flight where like white people are moving are leaving the suburbs because there are like too many immigrants and they're moving back into the city and then pushing people out of the city and it's just it's so it's so messy but um it's but that that sort of is was my reality growing up i was surrounded by like chinese immigrants and um different languages and it didn't even occur to me that that was uh I don't know that that just that was like a specific kind of ethnic uh, community until I left Texas. Really, like you know, when I started spending time in cities like you know, like Stamford, Connecticut, or you know, like Nashville, fairly big cities. But I, then I began to realize, like, oh, like like I'm I'm Asian. I'm like you know, like I'm like I'm like the only Asian person in this room or in this restaurant, and. Uh, honestly, that stuff didn't really occur to me growing up. And once you kind of started realizing that, is that, or like that, that, that was a reality of sorts. Um, how do I want to phrase it? I guess did that, did that start opening up like your writing to wanting to explore that? Or was that something that you were always interested in exploring, but didn't realize it? Mm. I think, yeah, I think it, it, did it must have I, I i think that like it, it it was it was just with time i think understanding sort of the uniqueness of of my upbringing helped but also i think it was just reading you know asian american literature seeing asian americans represented more in like film and just media like it just became something i realized i could write about i mean my earliest like attempts at creative writing. Well, besides when I was a kid, like in college, I like my characters were completely like they did not have a race, you know, or if they did, it was probably implied that they were white. And it just, it didn't, it felt like if they were Asian, that they had to somehow earn their Asianness or something. Um, and I certainly like got questions before, like when I made a character Asian why, you know, why is this character Asian? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> you know, why am I Asian? I don't know. Like, you know, so it's these sorts of just, just with time and with the growth and uh, of Asian American literature, it just felt more possible. Yeah. That pushback. I mean, was it frequent of like, oh, is this an Asian American story or why is it? Or were those, I guess, were those the majority of of talking points or was that not that was like infrequent well like if i made my characters asian or asian american then like inevitably something about that would come up and some i mean sometimes it it's not like we should we should avoid like talking about the fact that they that they are asian i think um some of those questions are useful but but then it yeah, it got weird because it's sort of, then it becomes like, what is, 
what is this story trying to say about the Asian American experience? And like, like what the hell does that even mean? Um, there's, it's just impossible to tell that story. But I think early on um, when there, there are, there's just like less, like a, less, a small, such a small pool to draw from each individual story has to sort of represent a larger population that's like impossible to categorize. And, um, and I think now it, it's incredibly freeing to realize like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to tell a story that necessarily has to be kind of sociological in nature. Um, like these can just be human beings and doing their weird stuff in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one asks if I wrote a novel, I doubt I'd be asked, Oh, like what does this say about like the Polish Catholic experience, you know, um, because of what I look like in my, and, and whatnot. Um, I, I talked to a writer recently who was from like the rural South and, and her collection is about like life in a rural Southern town and, you know, mm-hmm. and she was saying like during her MFA, people would want to outside of workshops, talk to her about like, Oh, does this character feel real? Because they were writing about that mm-hmm. and they weren't from that area or whatever. Did you, did you encounter that a lot? Did, were people seeking like, you know, inappropriately your opinion about, you know, Asian American or immigrant characters? Oh, interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really, rem- I don't think so. I don't actually remember encountering other writers in workshops having Asian characters in their fiction, now that I think about it. And yeah, I, I would be curious how that dynamic would work. I, I mean, that's the problem, right? When, you, when you're like the one Asian writer in the room, if someone were to do that, like suddenly there's like this weird energy directed toward you, the Asian writer, to somehow like be a barometer for whether this works or not, right? <laughs> um, and, and I definitely don't want that pressure either because I don't, I don't know sometimes if it works or not. You know, I, like I'm trying to learn how to write these characters well too. I, I remember I had a um, professor in, in my MFA who, who wasn't part of the MFA program. She was a, a literature professor um, and, and she's a native Korean. Um, and um, she, you know, she taught a lot about like literature and race and um, she was just, I, I took one of her classes just because I really loved her reading list. And, um, and I submitted some short stories. And one, one of the stories was like set in rural China, like during um, the early land reform movement after the, the Chinese civil war. And I, you know, I, I submitted the same story to uh, my workshop, um, my MFA workshop, and then the same story to her. And it's just like vastly different readings, um, you know, like on, on one hand, this one, one story was, the story was like interpreted by my MFA workshop as being very mythic. And, um, and, and there was no questioning of like the facts or like the history, um, probably because they, they felt like I was the authority. Uh, and maybe I did know more about it than anyone else in the room. Um, but, but then with, with, with the other, with um, the Korean um, reader, uh, even though she's, you know, maybe not 
an expert at Chinese history, but she like questioned that. She was like, okay, this seems to the story seems to be straddling like almost like historical fiction, but it's also like very folk tale and it and and it kind of seems like you're doing that because you don't like quite know like all the facts of of this time period. And she's like, you know, she like kind of called me out in a very nice way. And I was like, you are exactly right. Like I, I did not do enough research and that shows. Uh, and it's hard to get that kind of comment when you are the only, you know, quote unquote representative of your population, whatever in, in your, in your workshop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just talking to another writer about, um, like readers and how important they are because you can be stuck on something or you think something's working and it's not or whatever. Um, when you're seeking readers for your work, do you do you seek you know other Asian writers or, or are you to read or, or what, are you, what are you looking for when you need someone to read something for you? Yeah, um, I mean definitely I have um, like Asian American readers. Um, a dear friend of mine who I grew up with in Plano, she read an early draft of the, the book and, um, and like, I mean, she was such a perfect reader for the book because she just knew the, the place and the experience so intimately. Um, but I, but also I don't really, I, I don't think about it necessarily like as a checklist, like, you know, because I, because, you know, like I was saying, just, just because I, I am Chinese doesn't mean like, I could possibly be an expert or be able to really vouch for all the Chineseness in somebody else's work. Uh, in fact, like I, I uh, work with a, a historian of, of, of um, Chinese history to, to sort of fact check some of the parts of my novel. And she's white, you know, like she's, I think she's, I'm forgetting, I think she's from the South and, but she's just, you know, she's an expert. She did her research, right? Like this is her job. She, this is, she's a scholar of Chinese history and I would much rather trust her for that kind of stuff than myself. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I just, yeah, I'm just so curious on how readers, different readers react to different types of stories and whatnot. That's, that's been on my mind a lot recently. Like what I take away from your novel as opposed to what someone who's living in like Seattle or even in Plano take away, yeah. you know, it's, 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 yeah, someone a, a writer asked me if I was creeped out by a story in his collection. I was like, I no, I wasn't. But like, are people <laughs> like I don't even know like what other people react to, you know? Um, yeah. And and your story, your your novel, excuse me, your novel, it is it is kind of interesting. You know, it's it, it's like sleepwalking is an interesting thing. Um, and you, you talked about like, that loneliness at the beginning, and that kind of what what drove you when. When did um, like sleepwalking become a part of of this? Was it was it there really early on? Yeah, it it was. Um, it was there, but I didn't really know why it was there. I think it was it was just something like a weird image that just came out of the drafting process. And um, yeah, so this image of the of the little girl Annabelle walking through their neighborhood, sleepwalking through their neighborhood, and then her brother following her. That was in a very early, like, short story version of this novel. And um, it sort of, through lots and lots of revision, I, I kind of leaned into that a little bit more. And I kind of, you know, 
thought about it more metaphorically, but I try not to, to, to be, hopefully I wasn't heavy handed about it. Like to, to not, it's almost better that I didn't, I think, think too much about what it means. Like I was drawn to it for a reason. Um, and now that like, I'm talking about the book, I can kind of, I can kind of articulate those reasons. You know, I, you know, there, there's a lot of like muddled boundaries in the, in the novel, you know, people between countries, between languages, um, between different realities even, right? Like um, there's, there's a lot to sleepwalk in this kind of, this, this unknowable space that I was interested in. Uh, but yeah, that's all, a lot of that is kind of in hindsight, but, uh, but I, I, I'm fascinated by sleepwalking. Yeah, and all those different things that's like the sleepwalking with Annabelle can can touch upon. So those are kind of what interested you going into the book, and and, and you found a way to explore all of these different aspects. Then, yeah, well, yeah, I think I mean what interested me was just like the the kind of the creepiness of someone just just walking but not knowing that they're doing it and not being in control and and and. Yeah, and so that that image drew me to it, and through revision, I, I tried to make it a little bit more meaningful and like purposeful. Mm-hmm. And then with with this revision with this book, um, and, and I know you just kind of said this, but what what did you need to revise after you finished the early drafts? What what were you looking for to make this the book that it became? Yeah. Well, one of the challenges was I had expanded this, uh, a short story and it became a novel. And a, a big challenge was that, you know, the short story had this whole complete arc and had this like major kind of inciting, well, it's not even an inciting incident. It is like the main sort of drama of the story, but it would be, it became the inciting incident of the novel um, but the kind of the problem with that was I had this first chapter that was basically the short story in the novel. And the first chapter was like super front loaded with action. And so what happened afterwards, I like it was hard to figure out where to go from it. You know, I, it almost was always a letdown. I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to spend more time with the other characters in the family. So, you know, the, the short story was in Jack, the, the boy's point of view. That was, that's the first chapter. Um, but then in the novel, I explored each of the family's perspectives. But in terms of like the larger arc, it didn't really have one in the novel. It, it was like all in the first chapter. So that revision process was like really uh, figuring out the pacing and figuring out the structure. That was a big part of it. And, and realizing that like so much of the heart of the novel was it's not really in the super dramatic moments, but in the little moments, like the quiet, intimate, domestic moments between the characters. And there were so many there that were sitting in my head, but I just, I felt like I couldn't put on the page. And, and, and this, you know, like my editor was really instrumental in helping me figure this out. Like, you know, I, I needed to, to build up these like delicate kind of domino pieces before they all fell. Uh, down so um and so i spent a lot of time doing that in addition 
You know, that makes sense. Earlier I was trying to come up with a word, uh, just talking about like when it was a family drama, but also not a, I said thriller, but it's, yeah, the, the, those domestic, the, the domestic moments, those small moments, the quiet moments are really like what drew me to this novel. It, um, and like you talked about like, trying to figure out the pacing. I feel like, you know, you could sit on a page when I was reading and it's like so much was happening, but so much was left unsaid. Um, yeah, but there's no question at the end of that. That's just me rambling because you, <laughs> you answered what I was going to talk about with like pace. Um, <laughs> you know, with the pace of this, like and you just like really talked about this. Once you figured it out, was there any like rewriting of other major scenes that helped set those smaller scenes up? Yeah, I mean. So in the in the short story, well, actually in the early draft of the novel, even the novel that I submitted, that my agent and I submitted to my eventual editor, had this super dramatic encounter with like these two strangers, um, totally separate from the family. Like, they just they they came out of nowhere, and um, I had that there in the early draft because, like, I I felt like I it was like. I needed that to, to sort of get my, get the ball rolling kind of the gears clicking and, and, and to set, to set in motion, I guess, the, the sort of eventual sort of misunderstandings and, and the unraveling that comes out of that. Uh, but it was completely random. Like these, I, I know that we have in life super random encounters with strangers, um, but it felt very forced in the novel and what was more interesting was the family. I mean, I like I, I was missing so many moments in building up the family and their histories and their connections and disconnections that because I was so focused on like these random strangers. And so the, the huge change I made, um, this was like after getting a book deal, uh, which I never thought I'd, like anyone would let me make this change. Um, but it was really encouraged, actually, was to like just completely axe those characters, those two strangers from the book, and and that changed the entire novel. Every almost every scene was affected by that, and so it was like a long process of revision. Um, but it's a, I think it's a better book. It's a, it's probably a quieter book as a result, and and so I, I can imagine there are certain readers that may have may prefer the more dramatic thriller like premise of the earlier draft. But that just wasn't the kind of book I think that this needed to be. Yeah, no. And like, I mean, that's funny that you say like the, the thriller aspects of the version that's not this book. And and I keep thinking like the, these quiet moments, this quiet story is a thriller to me because it was mm. it was eerily quiet. You know, like I kept expecting something else. And then, you know, whether or not what I thought was happening was happening is what made this like really like a, a propulsive story for me because I was like, I am uncomfortable in like a very good way a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Yeah, that I definitely wanted that. Like I wanted the sort of unsettling, like under the surface kind of tension throughout the novel um, that can feel kind of thriller-like, but not necessarily like there's no, yeah, there's no like central mystery that needs to be solved right and um 
it's 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 really the the characters themselves who are mysterious and and I wanted to focus on them. Yeah, like the characters like Annabelle, Jack, it's like they're memorable because yeah, like you're right, like it, these are the type of novels that sit with me for a very long time where it's the characters and their moments like propel the page turning as opposed to I need to know what happens next. And hey, nights where nothing happens. Like mm-hmm. there we go, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um I got I'm it. telling the reader like what to expect, you know. <laughs> um no, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I that title was also not the title that I submitted. Um and I'm I'm also thankful that my editor didn't let me go with my original title, which was pretty crap. But uh like uh yeah, I like I think that it is the title sort of like a it's tr- both true and not true you know it things obviously do happen it's just kind of it depends whose perspective it is you know what you call something like something may be a nothing to one person but it may be everything to another person yeah no this title nice when nothing happened is even before I read the book I was like oh this is probably one of the best titles of the year like just the, like seeing the book cover everything about the packaging i know like that's obviously outside of your control for a lot of it but yeah they did such a good job with it oh yeah i mean i was i was stunned by it um yeah grace Han um, from riverhead uh, designed the cover and it was it's just it perfectly captured the mood and and i love how you know it, like i held the book for the first time uh just just like over a week ago and it just like was nice and like compact and slim and and I just couldn't like stop touching the cover. It was like so, I don't know. The texture of the cover is, is like feels really good. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, I'm really happy with it. No, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's a yeah from cover to cover, and then the the cover itself, just like a complete package. And and I, you know, I read I read a lot of books, and you know, there's sometimes, and I I admit this to writers even where it's like, oh, I just like, there was a lull. You know, with this there was no lull. I think I finished it within two days like less than 24 hours though like it was i needed to know what happened to these characters um yeah um just rambling again sorry while i think of the next question i uh yeah i i I throw in compliments to make writers uncomfortable (laughs) it's part it's part of what i do yeah i know we're we're not very good at receiving compliments Um, we're so used to rejection yeah 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 and and so like the book is out today so like readers are going to start reading it um but people who have read it you know friends family just readers within the writing community what did you what did you notice they they may have latched onto what what's something that they they focused on that maybe surprised you hmm. yeah i think it really depends on who because if it's if it's my friends or family I, I i am i am sure they're like thinking which parts of simon are here because <laughs> they know me and they're like you know and and uh I or maybe other strangers who are reading the book might might wonder that, but um, what surprised me? I um, I guess you know I I, I think that you know in, in some interviews and reviews I've seen there there have been a lot of mentions of like um, suburban racism um, or just like racism in general 
being like a prevalent theme in the book. And that was interesting to me because I, I never really thought like, I never wrote with the intention of like depicting quote unquote racism, like the like big capital R racism, like, or like, I, I certainly like was not interested in writing like about racists like the Proud Boys or, or just like people going around hurling slurs at my characters. Like it just, that kind of racism is incredibly boring to me. Um, obviously it's dangerous and terrifying and it's prevalent in our, in our lives, but I just don't want to spend time writing about that personally. Um, and so I think as a result, like, I, I think it was there. I, I absolutely agree that like these characters are navigating you know, a racist society as we all are. And they themselves are also, you know, complicit in that. And, but it, that title was almost unintentional for me in a way. Like it just was so, maybe it was just like so natural. Like I was so, it's just like so much part of the, the, the natural fabric of the world that I, you know, I didn't even need to like really think too hard about it. But, but then when other people brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, like, that is, that is racism. Um, so, that, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, even I, like, in this conversation, talked a lot about race at the beginning. Um, I just feel like that's, like, what we've come to... I don't know, I don't want to generalize this. I think what right now, race is on a lot of minds, more so than ever, and it's and that's a good thing, because, like, the, the injustice and inequalities that have gone on for... Tar- far too long or like finally being addressed by people who didn't want to address it and I think that everyone is reacting to books that are coming out now have to be about mm-hmm. racism regardless of this book was written five, ten, two years ago you know um, yeah mm. um, yeah 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 anyway yeah, but I just think I think that it, there's there's so much like nuance to explore in that and and, and I think that a lot of the racism that a lot of mainstream society sort of wants to read is this very basic, like person of color versus a white person kind of racism. Um, but I love a book like, you know, Edward P. Jones's The Known World, which explores all the different layers and contradictions of, of race. And, and here, like in my book, I wanted to like, yeah, I mean, I, I have like, I I want to explore like intra dynamics within like the Asian American community and how, you know, they might be internalizing that like certain uh, inferiority based on race or um, there's a, you know, there's, there are little moments where um, not to get too much away, but like there's like an, um, the the Asian American family at the center uh, of the novel encounters, you know, people of other races and, and how they interact with them like these kinds of things I was also interested in beyond just a like centering like white people either as like the heroes or the villains of a, mm-hmm. of a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like broadly just looking at what else interests you. Um, I know this book just came out today and I'm sure you're working on other things, but where, what, what do you want to write about down the road? Um, are there, are there certain topics that have been like cultivating in your mind that you're interested in exploring? Yeah, I, 
a good question. I, I well, I'm working on short stories right now. I mean, I've been I've been working on stories before, like during and after the novel, but um, a lot of the stories are exploring like similar terrain, you know, these sort of intimate like family dynamics. But it's been it's been cool to sort of expand the scope uh, of some of these stories, you know, in setting or in time period and and even in genre, like in, in sort of like playing with some elements of um, the, the surreal, uh, which I, you know, which I was interested in doing with this novel, too. Uh, but I would say that this novel is more realist, while, while some of the stories I'm working on, like, like bend that even even more. Um, so, so that's been fun. I just, I think with stories, you know, it's just because they're shorter, I just feel more free to experiment. And, and, and so I'll, I guess we'll see what, what happens. I, I, I hope that they might be able to talk to each other in a book, but, but we'll see. Definitely. And then it's been a weird year, 2020, uh, books have been a, like a savior for me. Have you been reading, have you been reading a lot or, or have you been focusing on writing or what, what's this year been like for you reading wise? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was basically only reading like early on during the pandemic and during lockdown. I, I just could not, could not write. <laughs> uh, and luckily I had already turned in the book. So uh, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't forced to write, uh, so yeah, I was reading in the beginning. I was reading a lot of Shirley Jackson. Um, sort of felt like a perfect uh, quarantine writer. Um, I what else have I been reading? Um, more recently, I finished uh, Clarice Lispector's *Hour of the Star*, which is her last book, um, which was great. Uh, I, I just started Matthew Selecki's, uh Disappear, Doppelganger, Disappear. Um, I'm going to start A.H. Uh, uh, Kim's A Good Family, which which is more like a thriller, I think. Uh, I mean, it looks, it, it's, it's the kind of book that um, I think has has so much uh, going on that it, that it amazes me. <laughs> Um, how she was able to pack all of that in. I'm so excited uh, to read that. And what else? Um, oh, and yeah, I just um, finished Brian Washington's memorial course. Amazing. Uh, yeah, those are just some. Um, yeah, Brian Washington, and then you. Like Texas is is having a great fall for uh, for books. Um, it's like a one-two punch with memorial and nights when nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Like, I, I, I'm, I would like our books to be really considered Texas fiction, right? Because it's just, you know, in, despite being such a vast, like, uncategorizable place, you know, people have this very narrow view of like what Texas fiction is or can be. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for, for Brian, you know, leading the way to, to sort of you know, push against that. Yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll wrap up with this talking about Texas fiction and like the writing community. Um, what is other than like your book and Brian's book, what is, what is Texas fiction looking like? I mean, if you, if you know any other writers, what, what can we expect, I guess, 
uh, from Texas in, mm. in the upcoming months and years? Wow, yeah, that's a that's a big question. I <laughs> I I don't you know I think that I think that just having more voices like that we haven't read before out there that have been speaking all this time, but just people haven't been listening, right? Like um, a friend of mine, uh, Elizabeth Wetmore Valentine was like a huge book earlier this year. Um, and it was, in, you know, it's about you know, it's partly inspired by, you know, the women that, that she would just like overhear her family talking to on the porch, like in West Texas growing up. And, and it's about like, it's, it's a, it's a novel that's completely led by women, you know, and, um, or, but then also like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, completely focused on Texas. I think writers in Texas are writing about other places and exploring, you know, just the diversity of like where our imagination can go so like Brian's book also goes to Japan um I you know a friend of mine a Kendra Green wrote a uh um a really beautiful nonfiction book about the museums in Iceland um, and the people behind those museums and it's like incredibly charming and fascinating stories about how the all these like quirky and museums came to be um and and so I think all of that can be a kind of Texas fiction yeah, definitely. Or, I, or not fiction, or sometimes it's not fiction. You know, sure. Or, but, but yeah, that kind of Texas story. Yeah, and you're right. I'm just thinking of the books I've read from Texas writers recently and how diverse they are in voice, style, tone, genre. And I think a lot of people think of Texas as one very specific thing when in reality it's, you know, that's just who talks the loudest, maybe, or who gets the most coverage. Um yeah, and there's just a lot more, a lot more to it. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I love the, the, I love the old Texas writers. I love Mercury. Mm -hmm. I love Lonesome Dove, and I think that, you know, there are aspects of that narrative that we, like, people don't also pay attention to as much. Like, mm -hmm. Lonesome Dove is like incredibly vulnerable, and like, I think explores like masculinity in a really interesting way. But then, I think in a lot of in the popular imagination, it's this like rugged cowboy story, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, it's also you know, reading reading with a with more complexity, maybe. Thank you so much to Simon Han for joining the podcast today. We recorded on the day of his publication, which is always very exciting. Um, his book "Nights When Nothing Happened" is out now. You can follow him on the internet. He's at simonhan.com. A very special thank you to my friend Raquel, who is letting me use music from her brand new music project, Rocky Colin. As always, you can find me at daybeautiful.net. All of the social media is at daybeautiful. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep checking out the website for more interviews and book recommendations. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>